morning. Although it's now the afternoon. But we did start in the morning, and we eventually will start a little earlier, hopefully, uh, as we're in our experiment phase of this, uh, this facility. Uh, but yeah, thank you so much, uh, church, for your flexibility and your willingness to uh, uh, try something new today. And this is, of course, as we've already been saying, a seven-week trial at uh, this location. Uh, and it's also been a different time for our church as well. And uh, we look forward to seeing uh, what God wants to do and how it's all going to work out in the end. Uh, but thank you so much for your flexibility. Um, it's going to be a little messy, obviously, uh, anytime you start something new. And uh, today uh, is no different, and that's okay. Uh, we will continue to move forward and figure it all out. Uh, but hopefully we can start a little earlier next week. Um, as it seems like we may be able to get in the facility a bit a bit sooner. Um, maybe I'll just switch to this mic if we're having problems. Um, but yeah, we uh, we uh, have invites at the back of the room. Uh, if you would like to uh, continue to invite people out for this, this uh, the next six weeks, we'll be here. Uh, please grab some invites on your way out. Uh, some of them are cut and some of them are not, and you can cut those yourself. Uh, four per sheet. Uh, we are uh, back together for midweek Wednesday night. Not here, though. Uh, we're back at our Hansworth uh, uh, King Edwards Girls location. Uh, we're going to start at 7.15 sharp, so uh, be prepared for that. Um, and then uh, we will be back here next Sunday, and hopefully we can start uh, at 11 a.m., uh, or at least closer to that next Sunday for sure. If you're visiting with us this morning, welcome to our church family, and uh, we hope you can uh, work around us and with us on our transition here. Uh, and that you uh, can continue to come back with us uh, in the next few uh, weeks as we uh, try out this new venue. Um, amen. How are we doing? Should we just switch to the radio mic? Switch. This is this. This is... It's not picking up. Yeah, switch to the radio mic. Okay. No problem. And this is, this is okay. It's just in and out. It's in and out. Yeah. Let's see if I hold it. Maybe that's better. Okay. All right. Amen. Well, uh, a lot of good news this week um, uh, in the church. Uh, first of all, Matt and Tia Richie arrived from Sydney, Australia. Thank you, Matt, for the communion. Tia is in an undisclosed location. No, she's away with Mandy at a staff retreat, and they will be at midweek together, and you can meet them Wednesday for sure if you haven't been able to meet uh, Tia as well. We're so thankful uh, for them to come all the way from Sydney, Australia, to serve the church for the next year in the student and teen ministry. And so uh, if you haven't got to know them yet, uh, you, you will soon enough. And thanks again, Matt, for your communion. Um, also, there's some other good news this week uh, that was uh, you know very near uh, and dear uh, to my heart, and that was my daughter Ruby got baptized. mother and I and her sister is so proud of her and it was a great time celebrating Thursday night uh, her receiving uh, the forgiveness of her sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thanks for all those who supported our family uh, in, this, in this time of transition here uh, in the church. It's great to have one of my daughters baptized in Birmingham. That will always be, you know, uh, something near and dear to our hearts. Amen. Um, we have uh, been doing a series called Generational Lift. Uh, we wrapped it up uh, last Sunday. We, we talked about generational lift or drift and how every church over time faces a dilemma as they age that spiritually they must continue to stay young while they physically age. And our church is celebrating 30 years next year as a church. And we want to really make sure we're, we're spiritually lifting, not just drifting over time. And that the same Jesus that we declared as Lord when we were baptized is the same Jesus we're serving and following today. So we talked about uh, lifting up the old, 
and some of the old ways and the faith especially of the old days and lifting up the young and how important the, the young are. Uh, to our church and to our future. And last time, a uh, few preached about lifting up the church and how important it is uh, that we have a strong and godly church. Uh, so I wanted to open it up for a minute. Um, Andrew's my lovely assistant here. Um, just to see uh, if, if any of us uh, personally walked away with some conviction and what you want to change from the series on generational lift. Uh, and so, you know, just, just something you personally took away that you want to change in your life. Uh, in your relationship with God as a result of our study of this concept of generational lift. And we'll start over here. Just a few people. Anybody who wants to volunteer briefly? I'll start with Phil. Thank you. It's great to see us go out evangelizing over the last six weeks, three weeks, and have the lessons. But for me, I feel like five years of living in Warwickshire, I've definitely not been able to be lifted in my evangelism and my share of my faith. And coming to Birmingham, I've been looked after by Israel and Phoebe, and then having the brothers and sisters around me as well. I have found myself time to evangelize. It's been great to share my faith. And I felt much more lifted and alive. And I've got vision now for the future. And I feel like I just really believe in what I'm doing as a Christian and living a Christian life. Sharing my faith and inviting people to the church. As well as being you know, a father and a husband. And, uh, so it's been great. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So some renewal. I think a lot of renewal. Yeah, it's in a while. I think it's uh, learning about generational lifts. Uh, if you don't know, I'm young. And so. Uh, no way! I know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's a learning. Um, uh, something I got away from it is I need to learn more from old people and uh, start a lesson on people. Yes, Less young people. <laughs> so I need to see the less young people and just ask more advice, you know. And uh, it, it's good to to learn from uh, other people in my life. And uh, clearly, there's uh, good things I can learn because we're all here today, and it's because of the foundation that you guys set. And so I want to personally thank you for that. And uh, yeah, that's okay. amen. The young will learn from the less young. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Nick. Others. Anybody else? Um, I think having the opportunity to reflect is always good. And um, a combination of lifting up the old and lift up the church really struck me about we are an answer to prayer. A couple of people came up and decided to plant a church in Birmingham with no idea what would happen. And I think when I first moved to England, for me it was a mistake. Um, and the worst thing that could possibly happen to me because I had planned to run off with you know, somebody up the road to Australia. That was my dream. And uh, because I just felt like I hate being, <laughs> I hate being the oldest and uh, I just want to run as far away from Zambia and Australia to where we thought we That's could go. Um, <laughs> yeah, so coming to Birmingham um, was another sort of tough decision for me. But again, I was running away from my family. But actually, moving to England and moving to Birmingham was what saved me because I've had some time to reflect on the choices and you know looked at the lives of some of the people I went to high school with. A couple of them are, are dead because of poor choices that um, were made, and I think they were no different to me. And it's really good to to really look at um, you know ourselves in a in a sober way. But sometimes I can forget what I've been saved from and take advantage of it. Um, but also to, to celebrate the church and you know the history that we, we that our faith is built on, 
um, but not just to, to sort of reflect on the glory days, but use those memories and that faith to inspire more and bigger dreams. Amen. And so it's been really encouraging to have that opportunity and to start thinking about what God will do in the next 30 years. Come on. It's really yeah. encouraging. Yeah. After 70, when I'm hopefully able to stand and look at the younger ones going, hey, we're still here. Amen. <laughs> For me, the, the talks on generational lifts um, helped me to remember um, how I was as a young Christian and to remember the really good days, the good old days when we had good fun, when we reached out a lot to a lot of people and how much fun that was and how much growth took place. And the thing that um, you also mentioned is that change doesn't have to be a long, protracted process and it can happen um, quickly. And so it's really helped me to see that I can I can change my evangelism and I can change the way in which I um, react and re, um, um, reach out to people. Thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. For the second time we got to move on, but I do appreciate uh, those who shared this morning, and hopefully we all you know we all walked away with some conviction personally how I'm going to lift my life spiritually for Jesus, whether young, whether old, whether in between, whether less young, whether young, you know everyone, everyone you know who, who is a Christian in this church, we want to inspire you and encourage you to continue to lift, uh, but we got to lift together. And that's the challenge. We gotta to live together. And I thought uh, the series for me was just a great opportunity to open up more conversations uh, and better conversations uh, with those you know older and younger than me, just to see how we can how we can really live together. And so I hope we'll continue to work on that uh, and grow together uh, as a church. We look forward to seeing what God's going to do in the next thirty years uh, in the Birmingham Church. Amen. We're going to jump back into the Gospel of Luke together as a, as a church family for a while. That's where we left off. Um, we saw Jesus' ministry building in the Gospel of Luke as we studied the first nine chapters or so. But chapter nine is a, is a, is a really critical shift uh, in Luke's uh, record uh, of Jesus' ministry. Uh, and you'll see here in a moment exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, so we'll read together here Luke chapter 9, verses 18 to 27 this morning. And it says, After Jesus performs another miracle, showing uh, clearly who he is, not just a man, but the Son of God. In verse 18 it says, Once when Jesus was praying in a private uh, place, and His disciples were with Him, He asked them, Who do the crowds say I am? In verse 18. They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. But what about you? He asked in verse 20. What do you say? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Verse 21, Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone. And he said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests of the teachers of the law. And he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Verse 24, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here today will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So the, this afternoon now, uh, we're going to talk a little bit here as we close out our time, our first service here at our new location, on our vision. 
Talk a little bit about our vision, uh, individually and as a church. You know, what we believe, what we believe affects what we do, our plan. It affects our vision. Where we're going, what we're intending to do with our lives, often comes back to what we believe. That's true in a religious and non-religious uh, sense. Uh, and and in, in Luke chapter 9, as I mentioned, uh, Jesus' focus in his ministry really begins to shift. Because here he mentions, as we just read, that he's about to go to Jerusalem, be killed, but raised again on the third day. And so he now, as it says in Luke chapter 9, and we'll read this next uh, next week, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, it says, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And so Jesus has, you know, he has he resolutely set out. Now his vision is, is very, very clear. And what really triggered uh, that moment was him sitting down with his disciples here, as we just read, and asking them and testing them, do they really understand who he is? And of course, Peter affirms very clearly who he is. Uh, he says uh, in verse 22, I'm sorry, in verse 20, he says, you are God's Messiah. And then, of course, Jesus' response to that is that he must go and, and really fulfill uh, the Messiah's purpose and role through his death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, one of the many things about Jesus that convinces us that he was not just a man, he predicted exactly what would happen, of course, and it did. Uh, Peter declares Jesus here in verse 20 as the Messiah. Uh, the Hebrew word uh, literally means anointed one or chosen one. The Greek equivalent is Christos. Uh, so you could you could call Jesus you could call him Jesus Christ or Jesus God's Messiah. Uh, both of those would qualify. Uh, for who Jesus biblically was. Um, and the Old Testament prophets spoke of a Messiah coming. The Jews in Jesus' time, they believed that that Messiah would be literally like King David and he would rise to the throne of Israel and restore Israel, not just spiritually, but also as a nation. But over and over, as you go through the Gospels, it becomes clear that Jesus tells his disciples, I'm not here to establish a physical kingdom, but a spiritual kingdom. And so again, he makes that clear here in chapter 9, uh, as we just read. And so the Jesus the Messiah, he makes clear here, it was not going to a throne, but a cross. Right? And so as his, as his vision uh, is clear, he marches toward Calvary, as we just read in chapter uh, 9, verse 51. Uh, and as he does this, he begins to make his disciples think about, if, if they're following him, well, where are they headed? And so he takes you know, the vision of his life, and then he brings it down into their lives. And of course he gives a, a challenge uh, that we often use in our discipleship study on uh, what it means ultimately uh, to follow Jesus. And so it's really good for us, I believe, uh, to think about our vision spiritually for our lives. You know, what is it based on? Is it based on what we really believe about Jesus? And then where is that supposed to take us as we go out today and live our lives and as we go out this week and live our lives? So let's talk a little bit about our vision uh, based on this moment in Jesus' life. Uh, and I think it can really be um, examined quite well just by looking at two, two simple questions here uh, from this text that are questions that, that demand a verdict from us all. Uh, the first is simply, who is Jesus? You know, who is Jesus? Jesus was a historical person who had a huge impact on the world. There's no uh, way around that. He shows up in Roman writings. He shows up in Jewish writings, and he also, of course, shows up in Christian writings uh, from that time. Uh, but his impact is, is far-reaching. It's far-reaching. He never wrote anything down. You know, he, he, did, he, he never owned anything. Uh, and yet his impact today is just beyond measure. I mean, how many hospitals and charities exist today uh, somehow associated with his name? Uh, even down the road, University of Birmingham, where does the name university come from? It was, it was Christian men who thought they should profess the truths about the universe. 
And that's where we get universities and professors to this day. So, so his impact is, is sometimes not even understood how great it truly has been when you look back on history. And his life is filled with evidence, I believe, that demands a verdict. You know, people then uh, and still today will always always know about Jesus and talk about him, right? Whether they, they believe in him or not. And of course, Jesus here, you know, is, is hanging out with his disciples and he's praying. And then he walks away from his prayer time and says, who do the crowds say I am? He wants to know what, what, what's being said. And, and they say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, you're, you're uh, you know, a, another prophet perhaps uh, for, from long ago. You know, they give Jesus all the good answers of what people are saying about him. But, Peter, but, but Jesus, of course, says, well, 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 that's great, but what do you believe to his disciples? A very penetrating question. And Peter, of course, gives a simple yet earth-shaking answer. You are God's Messiah. And Peter knew who he was, but, but did he know what it meant? And, of course, maybe he did. That's why Jesus makes it abundantly clear what it will mean uh, in verse 22. That if, if he indeed is, is the Messiah, he'll have to go to the cross, die, and raise back. To life, And Jesus says there, he says, the Son of Man must suffer. He must suffer many things. Be rejected, be killed, and again raised on the third day. Uh, four other times in, in, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus will say that he must do something. Uh, he'll say he must in Luke 4, verse 43. He says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that's why I was sent. In Luke 13, verses 31 to 33, uh, he says, leave this place and go somewhere. Uh, at that, at, at, I'm sorry, at that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and he said to him, leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. And Jesus replies, go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and keep healing people today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I will reach my goal. And in any case, I must, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. And then lastly here, uh, the fourth time he uses the phrase must. We read it in Luke 9, Luke 4, and Luke 13. is in Luke 17, verses 24 to 25. He says, For the Son of Man in His day will be like the lightning, which flashes and lights up the sky from one end to the other. But first He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. You know, Jesus has these four musts in Luke's Gospel, and they're all about His personal conviction. As the Son of God. It was clear uh, to Jesus who He was and what He came to do. And when we read these things, we get inspired. You can just read one of these and, and you can see that He's not just some, some mere man, but something much, much more. And what's even more inspired about Jesus' life is it, it's not like He's saying, I must go to Jerusalem and I must die for you sinful people. So I will resolutely set out. No. No, Jesus, his must was, it was not duty, it was delight. It, it was not, I have to, I, it's, it's, it was I want to. Because he chose, he chose to become the Savior of the world. And that perhaps is the most inspiring thing about Jesus' convictions and about his musts uh, that he declares to us today. You know, if we claim to be Christians today, if we are clear on who he is, we, we should have some musts in our lives as well. You know, I must love God. If we understand who Jesus is. I must love my neighbor. The two, the two greatest commandments, right? I must seek and save the lost. The Great Commission. I, I must serve the poor. I must meet when the body meets. You know, His must must become ours. His heart must be ours. And again, uh, not, 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 not us saying I have to with these musts, but I want to. 
I want to be like Jesus. I, I want to be like my Lord and Savior. You know, our conviction, again, with who Jesus is and where He's calling us will ultimately guide us toward those, those musts in our heart and in our lives. And again, our conviction comes back to who Jesus really is. And so can we answer if asked, like, like Peter, who is Jesus? If our answer is He's God's Messiah, then our life and our convictions should show that. And the vision through which we live our life, again, should come back to who Jesus was and what He is calling us to do. You know, Christianity is not about reciting a creed. It's about knowing and believing in the person and Godhead of Jesus. And amen, sometimes our, our, faith, our faith lacks or it wanes because we need our vision corrected, right, or directed by Jesus. Uh, and, and, and this is one of those moments, perhaps, uh, in Luke 9, where, 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 where Jesus' disciples, they really got their vision corrected. I'm, uh, anybody here nearsighted? Yeah, okay, yeah, I'm, I'm nearsighted as well. You, I, I'm a stubborn nearsighted person. I don't ever wear my glasses, but... But I, I can see, you know, I can see James there in the back and Josh, you know, but they're, they're a little blurry, you know. They're handsome guys, but they don't look so handsome right now. I'm not really, you know, cause they can't, I, I can see them, but they're not crystal clear. And, uh, yeah, so, so I, I, I'm nearsighted. And, and I think, you know, the, the disciples here, perhaps they spiritually in their faith were a bit nearsighted. They, they, they were with Jesus, they're right there with him, but they didn't quite see the big picture. They didn't quite get the, the big picture of God's plan for the Messiah uh, in this world and in their lives. And so Jesus, He corrects, He corrects their spiritual vision. You know, do we need that ourselves? Do we need to take a step back, spiritually speaking, today in our faith and say, you know, do I get who Jesus is and what He's calling me to do? That that do I have that vision for my life? And if you're busy with us today, uh, again, thank you for coming. You know, who do you say Jesus is? That's a good question for you if you're visiting with us uh, today. Uh, you know, Jesus can only really be, He can only really be one of four things, uh, historically speaking. You know, He could be a legend. He could be a legend. That is possible. Uh, but when you look at the gaps in, in Jesus' life, uh, in the first records of, of, of His death and resurrection, the earliest one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there's only about a 20-year gap. Between when Jesus literally died on the cross and, and the Bible says resurrected, and when uh, the New Testament literally is writing it down in 1 Corinthians 15, it proclaims the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so this idea of Jesus becoming a legend uh, doesn't make a lot of sense historically. And again, he's in Roman writings, he's in Jewish writings, and Christian writings. And so the idea of a legend uh, is, is very hard to, to uh, really believe uh, in this day and age based on the history. Uh, the documents that we have uh, even to this day. And so the other option is that he, he did make his claim to be God, but of course in the end it, it was false. And there's only two possibilities of, of whether it was false or not. The first was that he just didn't know it was false. He was a madman, a lunatic, to say the things that he said, and for them to not be true. If I came to you today and said that he just said to his disciples, you would probably think that was crazy too, right? But when we look at Jesus' life, and we look at the words that he spoke, to this day, they're some of the most profound words that anyone has ever spoken in the history of the world, and even an atheist would agree with that. Again, it doesn't sound like the words of a lunatic nor the life of a lunatic. Little children would come to him, and the Pharisees were afraid of him. You know, he just he didn't live about he lived a balanced life. He didn't seem like a crazy man at all. The other possibility, of course, if it was false, uh, is that he knew it was false. He was lying. He was he was a liar. That's the other possibility. Uh, and again, you know, the, the apostles uh, get rid of that argument quite quickly because the apostles all went and died for Jesus and in Jesus' name, a martyr's death, except for the apostle John. 
All the other ones were killed for their faith. And those guys, they are in a position to know whether Jesus was speaking the truth or not. And you might die for something you knew or thought was true, but you would never die for something you knew was a lie. And the apostles, they all died. They all died believing in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so another possibility that, is that it really was true, his claims, and indeed that he is Lord Sakna, as we're talking about uh, today. Uh, and so, so if you're visiting with us, you know, which one is Jesus? Is he a legend? Is he a liar? Is he a lunatic? Or is he Lord? I ask you to really consider that. Uh, because if you can understand that he indeed is Lord, he can help you and he can change your life. Uh, C.S. Lewis talked a lot about these concepts philosophically. Uh, and I love this quote by him. He says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said wouldn't be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic on a level with a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'd be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. And so you, you cannot you, you cannot water down who Jesus was and what he did. Uh, you have to you have to you have to make a decision. You have to make a declaration, just like Peter was asked. We too have to make a declaration today. Who is Jesus? The answer to that question has a, eternal eternal stakes. So who is Jesus? And second, finally, uh, this afternoon, will you follow him? Who is Jesus and will you follow Him? You know, after correcting or directing the, the bigger vision of who He is, as we just talked about, uh, in verses 23 to 26, uh, He now pulls His disciples uh, into His vision uh, for their lives. If you believe I am who I, I say I am, well, then this is how you ought to live your lives. And so we go from the nearsightedness, perhaps, of the disciples um, to the farsightedness. You know, he wants to make sure they can see close up exactly how they ought to live their lives. Um, and so, so now you know the, 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 the practical, the practical side of following Jesus comes out uh, here in the text. He says, "Whoever wants to be my disciple," uh, that word "disciple" is synonymous in the New Testament to Christian. Whoever wants to be my disciple, or whoever wants to be a Christian, we might say today, um, you know, has to live this way, Jesus says. And they must do really four things, and I've highlighted those four things, four, four commands or, or expectations of, of someone who says Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, today we call it discipleship. Today we call it following Jesus. Uh, Jesus says here they're to deny themselves. Second, they're to take up their cross daily. Third, if they want to save their life, they'll lose it. And fourth, he says, you cannot be ashamed of him uh, in Luke 9, verses 23 uh, to 26. And so this, this is discipleship. This is following Jesus. This is the daily vision of a Christian. Uh, and so let's just look at these four areas as we close in our time here and see what we can learn. Uh, the first area, of course, uh, is that of self-denial. That of self-denial in, in verse 23. He says, you must deny yourself. Uh, the Greek phrase there literally means deny yourself. You know, we, we, do, we do exist once we become Christians. It's not like we no longer exist. But Jesus' life becomes more significant than ours. His life becomes more significant than ours. You know, today, uh, someone who is selfless is considered inspiring. They're considered awesome, right? So even in the secular sense, we get uh, this idea of, of, of denying ourselves and how powerful uh, that can be. Uh, you know, to me, I think about my life. You know, there are parts of me that are, that are contrary to Jesus' And the life He offers me. They're, they're called my simple nature. And there are parts of me uh, you know, that, that ultimately 
you know, it's not natural. I don't want to go after Jesus. I don't want to go after my relationship with God. Uh, and so Jesus called me to deny those parts of me that go against what He would want ultimately for my life and for my benefit. So you give up something less, yourself and your simple nature, for something much greater. Following Jesus, who the only person who ever lived a perfect life. So that's what it means to deny ourselves. When you follow Jesus, in other words, less of you becomes more. When you follow Jesus, less of you becomes more. So a good question for us on this is, where do I need to deny myself more so that Jesus might give me something more? Second area here is cross-bearing in verse 23. You have to deny yourself, he says, and carry your cross daily. Carry your cross daily. Uh, what would this have meant back then? Well, Jesus hasn't died on the cross yet, so it meant something a little bit different. Uh, and, uh, William Barclay, Scottish theologian, uh, wrote this. He says, Jesus knew what crucifixion meant. When he was a young boy, about 11 years of age, Judas the Galilean had led a rebellion against Rome. He had raided the royal armory at Sepphoris, which was only four miles from Nazareth. And so it's likely Jesus walked this road with his father um, from his hometown Nazareth to Sepphoris, because Sepphoris was a large city. Um, along this road, it says the road of vengeance was swift and sudden. Sepphoris was burned to the ground, its inhabitants were sold into slavery, and 2,000 of the rebels were crucified on crosses which were set in lines along the roadside that they might be a dreadful warning to others tempted to rebel. So he says, to take up our cross means to be prepared to face things like that for loyalty to Jesus. It means to be ready to endure the worst that anyone can do to us for the sake of being true to Him. You know, to follow Jesus, there will be some prices to pay, in other words. Uh, but again, in the end, if He's the Messiah, it will be worth it. And the early church, of course, got this so much that many of them literally carried the cross for Jesus to the point of their death. Now we don't live in a society like that today, right? Uh, you know, we for us today, you know, this morning carrying our cross, quote unquote, was driving a little further to church, perhaps, or not knowing where to walk in, or right now your stomach's crumbling because you want to eat lunch. Because oh, yeah, I'll carry my cross, but but really, that belittles what our Lord and Savior has done for us to equate that to carrying our cross. No, and so I I, I look at this and I think. Man, do we, do we even really have to carry our cross in a lot of ways? I mean, the way Jesus did it uh, is nothing like what I'm being called to at this point. It makes me think, I've got a long way to go. I've got to keep striving and fighting and scratching and carrying my cross as a disciple of Jesus. And so how do I need to carry my cross for Jesus today in a real sense? Not in a fickle sense, which is often how we use that phrase, sadly. The third thing here, just two more, almost done here, sorry for the audio problems, uh, is life losing. Self-denial, cross-bearing. The third thing here is life losing. Uh, in verses 24 to 25, this, this great you know, paradoxical statement Jesus gives, right? Whoever wants to save their life in verse 24 will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me, in the end, he says, will save it. Um, you know, somehow with Jesus, when you die, you actually live. Somehow with Jesus, when you lose yourself, you actually find yourself. That's what, exactly, exactly what he's saying here in this text. And Jesus' life, of course, displays this so well. Uh, John 12, uh, verses 23 to 24, uh, you can look at it later. What does he say there? He speaks of his death. 
And he says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. And as we've already said, who lived a more fruitful life than Jesus? Who's lived a greater life than Jesus in the history of the world? And so that pattern is set up before us if we are disciples of Him. We too, you know, as we as we lose ourselves and, and, and deny ourselves, uh, we'll be lifted up to a fruitful life. So a good question there is, where would I have more fruit in my life spiritually if I just lost more of my life? And the last thing here is loyal love. Loyal love. In verse 26, it says, If you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you when I come uh, in my glory. Of course, referring to uh, his second return. Um, Christianity is a relationship with our, our risen Savior, our real but miraculous person. And so, to me, I equate this idea to you know I can't imagine you know uh, myself being ashamed of my mother, being ashamed of my father, because they're, they're my mother, and my father. That's an important relationship. Or one of my children being ashamed of me uh, being their dad. Uh, and so, spiritually, when we're ashamed of Jesus, His name, His words, that, that's how we make Him feel. We we, we start to reject Him. And, and of course, we live in a culture that doesn't really have a lot of loyalty to Jesus, and if anything, even mockery of Jesus. And so, this is a real test for us, you know, in our discipleship. Do we really have loyalty to Jesus? You know, some of us at the family leaders meeting yesterday went out and we shared our faith for a while. We had a short meeting and went out and shared our faith around the, around the area for the new location here, where I can help park. And, and it's just amazing how many people just don't even want to consider, you know, the idea of Jesus in their lives. And so, does that make me? Still proud and, and still wanting to share my faith. Does that make me want to pull back? That's a test of my love and loyalty to Jesus. So the last question here is, where in my life does Jesus deserve more loyalty? Where in my life does Jesus deserve more loyalty? You know, today, I hope we can get uh, and see that discipleship following Jesus is a gift. It's a hope. It's a joy. It's a blessing. Discipleship is where we find and live the truest form of life. There's nothing better in this life, no better way to live your life than to follow Jesus. But we'll never know if we don't go. Right? We'll we'll never be able to understand this until we truly decide to follow Him. And in my experience, you know, following Jesus at at first, it's a little bit awkward. It's a little bit unnatural. It's kind of like swimming in cold water. You know when you first jump into cold water and you get in there and you're swimming around, whether it's a pool or the ocean and... And your body's reacting and you're a little tense. And But typically, unless it's sub-zero, if you stick it out, all of a sudden your body acclimates. And all of a sudden you're, you're, doing, you're doing laps around the pool and you're splashing other people and, because you've adjusted, right, to, to that water. And sometimes discipleship is like that. It doesn't quite feel right at first. But if you keep going, you keep going, God adjusts your heart and He adjusts your life and you actually start enjoying it. But again, if we don't deny ourselves, if we don't carry our crosses, oftentimes we miss out. We miss out on, on the victory and on the hope that God wants to bring to our lives. And so I hope we can understand this and get this. And I, I, I really believe in discipleship. I really believe that there's no better way to live your life no matter what you're doing or who you are than following after Jesus. And I believe that long before I was a preacher of God's Word. Because I grew up not following Jesus. I grew up in the States. You probably figured that out with the accent. I grew up in the States and, and I didn't 
I didn't know Jesus. I didn't follow after Jesus. What I, what I was sold when I was growing up was you follow after the world in its ways. You try to make a lot of money. You know, you try to you, you try to enjoy the pleasures that life has to offer. And, and, and that was kind of what I was following after. I was following after the American dream, if you will. And so uh, when I was 19, you know, 18 years old, I went off to university and you know, I, I graduated first in my in my in my uh, secondary school. So I thought I was really smart. I went to an engineering program in Cincinnati, Ohio, and I got I did my first physics exam and I failed all A's all through secondary school, and I failed my first exam. And I realized I'm not so smart. And uh, you know, I was humbled, you know. So, so the educational, you know, pursuit, you know, I, I got humbled. I saw some of the emptiness there, uh, you know. And then, and then, you know, I was a decent athlete in high school, you know, played played top level basketball and, and American football, and so I thought, you know, I'm a pretty good athlete. And then I remember I was playing basketball uh, there at the university, and I got dunked on for the first time. And I was like, whoa, what is going on here? I, I'm not quite as, as good of an athlete as I thought I was. And, and then, you know, I, I was never really a ladies' man, but I kind of always seemed to get the girl I wanted to get. And I was at university, and I was looking around, you know, for what girl do I want to ask on a date? And I saw this girl, and I asked her on a date, and, and she became my girlfriend. And, you know, I was walking across campus, big man on campus with her on my arm, and thinking, I'm the man, you know? And then, and then six months in, I think I'm in love, and she dumps me for an older, older guy, a third year student. I couldn't believe it. Never been done before. And so all the, all the things I was following after, you know, education, success, you know, uh, sports and achievement, uh, you know, that pretty girl on my right arm, all those things were just taken away from me in the course of my first year of university. And I remember after the girl dumped me, I walked back to my, my dormitory room, and I, it's the 90s, you know, I popped out my Boys to Men album. And, uh, you know, all the way come to the end of the world. Tear my eyes. It was a pathetic moment. It was a pathetic moment. I don't say this to brag, but... Because all the things I was following after and putting my hope in were taken away from me. And praise God they were. Because about a month after that, a disciple of Jesus, who's a knight himself carrying his cross, sharing his faith on campus, reached out to me. And he pointed me and he said, you need to follow Jesus. And I praise God for that man every day. Because I was going in the wrong direction. And I praise God for my discipleship to this day. I, I can't think where I would be and who I would be. You know, almost 20-some 20, 20 years later, if I, if I hadn't started following Jesus when I was 19 years old. And it was awesome that Ruby baptized Thursday. And I was just thinking about that, you know. I mean, that, that is the culmination of discipleship right there, of baptism. You know, my, my wife and I, you know, raising our daughter to, to pursue Jesus. But so many people who denied themselves and carried their cross to help my wife and I. To get to the place we are in our face, so we can then share with our daughter. And then, you know, Ashley and Chiz, you know, teen leaders who've just taken time for Jessica, you know, one of the other teens who have just taken time to pour and inspire and help Ruby. You know, and again, all the, all the people that have, you know, their discipleship has helped those, those girls who they can help my daughter. And, and baptisms are a celebration of the culmination of discipleship. And we can never forget how powerful and how awesome this is to simply just follow Jesus. You know, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me, Jesus says, will save it. Will you follow Him? Is the other important question for us to ask ourselves uh, this morning. You know, where is our vision? Where is our vision for our lives? Where are we headed? May Jesus be our vision. Amen? Well, I'm close here with the story. Thank you for bearing with me here. Uh, Lynn Anderson wrote this. She says, about 400 years ago, 
A shipload of travelers landed on the northeast coast of America. I think they came from here, right? The first year, they established a town site. The next year, they elected a town government. The third year, the town government planned to build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. In the fourth year, the people tried to impeach their town government because they thought it was a waste of public funds to build a road five miles westward into a wilderness. Who needed to go there anyway, they asked. And she says, here were people who had the vision to see 3,000 miles across an ocean and overcome great hardships to get there. But in just a few years, they were not able to see even five miles out of town. They had lost their pioneering vision. With a clear vision of what we can become in Christ, no ocean of difficulty is too great. Without it, we rarely move beyond our current boundaries. It's time to move beyond our current boundaries. If we can believe Jesus is the Messiah and follow Him, His vision can become ours. And this can and will change our lives today and those around us. And toward His vision, may the Burden Church of Christ continue to go. And the Burden Church of Christ says, Amen. Amen. Thank you.